1: Again, sorry about the break, but uh, I decided this was a really good time to maybe get get some help mentally. You know, go to a therapist, get my stuff in order, maybe deal with uh, some issues in my own head, which have been plaguing me for a while. Now, let me remind you that after a month or so, yeah, in early August, about this time I'll be in the United States. So, that's good, and uh, I hope to meet you there, on the East Coast at least. Also... Well, thanks to everyone who's listening to this show and everything, and, well, there's uh, quite a lot to talk about here. Thank you all for listening, because, you know, with all these weird events around me, it would be really, really hard to push through without you. But I listened to what Dan Carlin told me back in that interview, and after that, what History Impossible told me in their interview, that I really needed to take care of myself a bit. So I did. And thank you. Thank you a lot. But... Right now, we have to get back to the updates about the Russo-Ukrainian war. I guess that's the that's the new way how we're gonna call this, I suppose, the official one. Anyway, you got has been kind enough to kind of summarize the whole situation once again. So here we go. Number one, border front. That is from borders with Belarus to Kharkiv Oblast. No substantial changes. The situation is gradually but steadily heating up. Artillery skirmishes and sabotage actions prevail. The enemy, that is Ukrainians, because again, it's Gyrkin that I'm using, is stepping up shelling and and artillery attacks deeper into the Russian territory. The aim is to force Russian Federation Armed Forces to maneuver the available air defense units to cover the cities, weakening the cover of forces on the front line and near, near total arrears. In addition to... Quote, increasing the prestige of the Russian authorities and the president personally among the population of shelled settlements. Both sides are gradually bringing more forces to the border. Gyrkin predicts that at the end of summer, if not earlier, this front line will become quite active, which, considering the absence of mobilization in the Russian Federation, will only be beneficial to Ukrainians, who are able to put up a much larger number of line, detachments and units, even if it's just light infantry. Thanks... To their own mobilization. Kharkiv frontline. No major changes. Again, artillery, artillery skirmishes, aviation activities, fights of local significance. Girkin here predicts that potentially this uh, place near Kharkiv can become the main place for the upcoming battle for the initiative that everyone predicts right now. How it will really turn out? Well, we're gonna have to wait and see. In any case, the extended configuration of the front line will inevitably lead to attempts of one or the other side, or both, really, to conduct offensive operations with decisive or at least partial goals. Isium Slavian's direction. The transfer of almost all combat-ready artillery and infantry forces of Russian Federation and Luhansk-Donetsk, well, these uh, separatist public forces, to Lishansk, from which, from which Ukrainians uh, basically withdraw, led to a local superiority of Ukrainians over Russian forces, the result of which was a series of attacks on Krasnopole, and, well, this, in anything else in this the general direction were unsuccessful in Russian side. Ukrainians, by reinforcing their front line, despite the battle of Lishansk, with fresh reserves managed in several places to return lost tactical positions. Here, predicts that the group of Russian and separatist forces in this direction will be definitely strengthened due to the release of forces after the victory at Lishansk. However, he's not expecting an advance on the slovyansk bolevanko line, at least a successful one, since the Ukrainian forces have entrenched well in the terrain, are quite numerous and active, and the Ukrainian command and their as he likes to call them, military-political authorities, are paying special significance to holding the Slovyansk kramatorsk agglomeration. Number 4. Donetsk frontline. seversk ulyadar bakhmut section. At the moment, advancing forces of the Russian and separatist forces are attempting to move forward in the Seversk area, quote, on the shoulders of the retreating enemy, end quote. However, the Ukrainians prepared here in advance and occupied the new defensive lines with fresh forces and they continue entrenching. Girkin predicts that quote, unfortunately I am not expecting substantial successes in the breakthrough, uh, the breakthrough of the Ukrainians in this area. Uh, of course, he speaks from the Russian side. Again, I'm a bit tired mentioning this all the time. A gradual fading of the fights here is quite probable. Number five. Donetsk Frontline. Avdeyevka-Marinka section. Positional fights with the superiority of Ukrainians. The superiority is achieved with good artillery support and the activity of UAVs, both reconnaissance and light strike UAVs. There may be attempts of Russian Federation command to develop the previously achieved successes north of Avdeyevka, which will now be much more difficult than during the initial breakthrough of the front line, which was sacrificed to transfer forces to sever donetsk Lishansk. 6. Donetsk Frontline south section. No changes. Pretty much the same situation as in the north. Girkin here predicts only positional fights in the nearest future. Number 7. Zaporozhye front line. Again, the same thing, really. Positional fights, artillery skirmishes. Increasing activity of Ukrainian sabotage groups in the near and far rears of Russian troops. Potentially one of the possible directions of the Ukrainian offensive. Kherson front line. No changes. At the forefront, gradually increasing shelling by u- Ukrainian artillery. The line of contact has not been formed any- everywhere. In some sections, the defense of both sides has local nature, which is inside localities. Again, another likely direction of the battle for the initiative, which is likely to come. And Here, Girkin makes some general points, which are, of course, of a pretty much large interest to us. Gyrkin makes some observations about, well, everything. Number 1. The enemy. Throughout the past month, Ukrainian armed forces have been continuously increasing the number of troops and equipment in all directions, both active and so-called sleeping, thus creating a steady superiority in manpower, artillery, and armored vehicles at many of the directions. At the same time, the enemy continued forming strategic reserves, limiting their deployment into battle even at the peak of sever battle. As a new element... Of the Ukrainian tactics, special attention is paid to destruction by rocket artillery. Hello, Hi Mars. Also, congratulations to America and Fourth of July. And unmanned aviation of important rear facilities in Russian Federation and L- Luhansk, Donetsk, well, separatist republics, primarily of large ammunition stockpiles that were not sufficiently or not at all covered by air defense forces. I'll, I'll get to this because in um, in a recent. Recent post of Girkin that was not yet translated by War Translated, uh, he mentions that five already five major supply supply caches of ammunition and artillery of the Russian Federation have been have been destroyed, and he specifically states that it is very humiliating and shameful that the world's second largest army has to be really really economical and tight with their ammo because Ukrainians with the help of HIMARS have been just blasting up their their uh, ammo supplies and we'll get to these shellings later on because Ukrainians have been blasting Donetsk as well and that's a strategical thing since well even before the war Donetsk was massively evacuated and everyone who stay there is basically a separatist separatist supporter or a militia fighter or just Russian soldier anyways and they've been going all out but that's after these uh, the, these messages here because that's a whole different news segment the local superiority in manpower allowed the Ukrainians to take up previously abandoned territories in many sections without a fight, complicating the tactical situation of Russian units and formations active in these areas. Apparently, the emphasized defensive nature for the Battle of severodonetsk donetsk from the Ukrainian side was deliberate. Battles were simply dragged out with an aim to win as much time as possible and inflict maximum losses and casualties on the Russian strike group. After the loss of the main positions was a foregone conclusion, the command... UAF the command of UAF managed to withdraw the core of the defending forces and avoid encirclement of even the smallest part of them, both in Severodonetsk and Lysychansk and Zolotoygorodsk. At the same time, however, the majority of the defenders' equipment was irreversibly lost. Which is well, turning this into NATO's peak, which apparently Girkin isn't that that very accustomed for. That's the, basically the NATO's plan for fighting, drawing in drawing in Russians for major casualties if they would attack us, and you know what for. Like NATO losing vehicles and stuff isn't that bad. And since, well, Ukrainians are counting on more heavy weaponry and vehicles being delivered to them, they can afford to create such traps. Because, well, unlike the separatist forces and as far as we know, Russian army, since well what we've we, what we've we been hearing hearing from their reports and what well, the soldiers have been saying, well, you know, these guys uh don't don't value human lives as much as they value their actually working vehicles. Ukrainians, however, are working kind of with, um, with strict kind of NATO things. Here, Gitkin concludes. Ukrainian armed forces are concluding preparation for their own active operations in one or more direction. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds,
0: and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? Plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.
1: Will they first wait for the new attack of the Russian Federation, or carry out their actions in a pro- proactive manner? Gierkin cannot predict, and neither can I at this point. Now, Russian troops. The offensive potential of the strike group that took Lyshansk is almost fully exhausted. Continuing the advance without the sufficient operational pause necessary for replenishment and rest of the troops may lead to an additional large losses without significant results. Regrouping and determining of the next offensive targets is necessary, as well as taking measures to repel prowl enemy attacks. Russian troops are experiencing growing difficulties in confrontation with Ukrainians on a tactical level due to increasing enemy superiority in manpower and the increase of modern combat equipment available to them. Again, well, thanks to everyone in NATO countries who keep sending them these weapons and guns, which is just great. The lack of replenishment and the impossibility of rotation, especially for the, mabilki, the mobilized units of the Separatist forces who have been on the front line for 3-4 to four months without rotation, leads to a slow but constant decrease in the actual combat readiness and morale of Russian units and formations currently on the defense, while the morale of those who suffered heavy losses but still advancing for assault formations remains a bit higher. The military political authority of Russian Federation cannot allow itself to gain foothold in positions and give the initiative fully into the hands of the Ukrainians, since dragging out the hostilities in these conditions will only lead to an increase in Ukrainian strength and weakening of Russian. Therefore, Girkin states that he's expecting deployment into combat of prepared reserves in a new offensive operation as part of the battle for the initiative, immediately after some short operational pause. And here he makes some general conclusions. The second stage of the special military operation from the Russian side ended without the complete achievement of the said goals. The group of Ukrainians in Donbass was not defeated and not completely driven out of its territory. The only only thing that they managed to defeat and push out was a part of the enemy group from the Bulge along the Sivirsky Donetsk liberating as they call it, liberating. Fully, the Luhansk People Republic Territory and Popasnya Krasny Лиман, and a number of smaller settlements. The operation demonstrated that the Russians' peacetime army, even significantly strengthened by the Separatist Republic forces and surrogates that are various private military corporations, is not able to complete the objective of the complete defeat of the Ukrainian army and the victorious conclusion of the so-called Special Military Operation. Delay in mobilization in the Russian Federation may, in the coming months, lead to a crisis in certain areas of the Ukrainian front line, while further ignoring the aforementioned inability will negatively impact the situation on a more strategic scale. Now, those are the news about the direct events of the front line. However, there's been a bit more news about the shellings of Donetsk itself, which I really want to pay more attention to. Girkin went on a whole triad here. Quote, Yesterday, the artillery of the Ukrainians, without punishment, after the five whole whole stacks of ammunition stockpiles that they've just exploded, basically bombed Donetsk and the the city of Donetsk and its administrative and military parts with about 350 large caliber caliber shots uh, and rockets. Well, they completely destroyed the railway and a bunch of industrial businesses. Basically, well, everything that's necessary for the Russian operations to continue. That's my comment here. There were a massive amount of fires there, and there was just crazy amount of blasts everywhere. And, well, apparently, as he reported today earlier, the, attack, the attacks just continued. And everyone is just being very panicky about it, and morale is getting even lower. For the Russian forces, Girkin comments that uh, well, in Kremlin they all are still waiting. When will the partners approach us with even even larger you know offers of of uh, of a ceasefire? And He compares today's Kremlin with Napoleon in 1812, when he, by the way, also sitting in Kremlin, but without any kind of responsible military actions, just wanted to wait for some uh, for some. Ambassadors and people willing to talk with him from St. Petersburg, but that never happened. Gidkin's quite angry about this. And he's most angry about the fact that the Russian Federation is not actively mobilizing and not actively doing anything that would lead to a swift conclusion of this war. And he's lamenting the whole amount of missile systems being delivered to Ukraine and these new artillery systems, which obviously. All of us should wholeheartedly support, since, well, if we're if we're gonna, you know, have an ending of this war in in some positive conclusion, then of course this this will matter quite a lot. Also, he responded to how Putin had gotten some some own, you know, public messages out about the situation on front lines, and Putin, as usual, just goes out and says that everything is okay which enrages Gyrkin even more. Meanwhile, one of the Russian opposition journalists, Michael Nucky, whom I listen to, and, you know, if you speak Russian, you should too, uh, kind of had an interview with, um, with other Russian opposition journalists about the investigation on, on how much does the does the Russian Federation War Ministry, or Ministry of Defense, if you want to call it that way, how much do they lie? And turns out that they lie constantly and all the time. I mean, there were some people at the beginning of this war, also, people who I know personally who stated, well, I, I just don't believe that Russian, Russian army would, the Russian military and Russians in general would lie all the time. But no, no, they really are. And interestingly enough, the breaking point of this lie happened in the 13th of April because they just went through and analyzed a bunch of, bunch of, you know, public media releases by the Russian Federation. And turns out that they've been exaggerating the numbers and just hiding everything completely turns out that in total the russian federation ministry of defense has stated that 40,000 military formations have been destroyed but that almost equally compacts with almost 40,000 for 40,000 people being dis- being kind of killed 40,000 ukrainians that is so in total that means that about 40 you know each military facility had only a soldier in it at best which is just a bit crazy cuz if you look at this this is kind of kind of a bit bizarre Oh, and uh, one more thing, talking about how everything is just going a bit strange here. While I was recording this, I got a message from a Finnish listener of ours. Hello, Finnish dude. And he sent me an article from a Finnish, uh, Finnish news site, ile.fi, which says, satellite images show emptied Russian military based near Finnish border. And apparently, the relocated equipment is enough to arm one battalion or roughly 800 soldiers, according to Russia expert Marko Eklund. Apparently, satellite images obtained by ILE have revealed that much of the military equipment at Russia's Alakurri, or something, I can't pronounce Finnish, sorry, it's just very different for me, near the Finnish border has been removed. No, no information of the possible relocation of troops or equipment has been made public in Russia. And, you know, since about mid-May, more than 100 vehicles have departed from this base, including dozens of armored personal carriers. In total, about one-third of the 2,000 soldiers stationed at the base have left during the same period. It is very likely that they're, support- they're transported by train to Ukraine, but this just shows that, um, despite the Russians d- d- don't wanting to make any mobilization efforts, they're pulling what they have. And they they're being, you know, forced to pull out stuff even from, well, bases nearby NATO borders. Which is alarming if you're a Russian, since, well, they are constantly worried about us and the NATO just attacking them all the time. Which totally makes no sense, but still shows you the fact that with continual support, the Ukrainians actually might win this war. Which is nice news for everyone here. At any rate, this is it for today, and we'll be back soon enough. Thank you for listening, everyone. Please consider becoming our patron. This is the beginning of the month. And of course, you know, a, lot, a bunch of patrons, you know, either their cards fail or they decide that they don't want to be supporting the show anymore. Stuff like that. So your support is always important to us. Please, please go to patreon.com slash eastern border and click that button. And, you know, we can you, you can always just join us. And we don't we don't charge for every episode. Like we always say, don't worry about that. Please follow us on Twitter at, at eastern underscore border. And, you know, just donate to charities relating to this war. My favorite one, as always, is ComeBackAlive.ua. And as always, remember, happiness is mandatory. And I hope that a longer episode will be available to you soon, since Aneta is um, going to be off for a bit, but I have something special for her to edit these closer days. До свидания, товарищ. And, yeah, stay safe and stay informed.